Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could simply rejoice in the truth of the gospel without having to contend with the lies and the heresy that are so prevalent in cultural Christianity today? On the other hand, the beauty and power of the gospel of grace and the precious souls who will perish without it really do demand that we contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Now, there are those today who would say to me, Rick, let's stay positive. Please, people don't want to hear negative talk. And then they go about telling nice stories, using religious anecdotes sprinkled with a a Bible verse here and there, and then dare to call that preaching. Consequently, there's a growing number of people within our churches who profess to be Christians, but who are not. They are the deceived. They are the blind, being led by blind leaders who only lead people into the pit of hell. These people are not being given the whole gospel. Rather, they are given a watered-down, man-centered version of the gospel designed to simply attract people into church membership, but a gospel that cannot save anyone. Now, this is serious. This has an effect on you. So I'm begging you to hear me today. So what I want to talk to you about today, I want to talk to you about the two Gospels that are being heard in the world. Of course, only one is true, and the other is a man-made, man-centered counterfeit. And those two Gospels are, one, that of divine accomplishment, and two, the Gospel of of human achievement. The glorious news is that the gospel of divine accomplishment, as preserved for us in the pages of the New Testament, is the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's a quote from Ephesians 1.13. The gospel of divine accomplishment is preserved for us in the pages of the New Testament. It's available to us, readily available to us. It is the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Still, the gospel of human achievement is by far the more popular of the two gospels, for it preserves the delusion that man remains spiritually and morally capable of responding to the gospel, and therefore, make note now, remains in control of his eternal destiny. One other note here. The proponents of the gospel of human achievement would never refer to it as that. They readily concede that one cannot be saved apart from grace and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Although they quickly insist that God cannot save you without your vital contribution of faith in order to get in, followed by good deeds in order to stay in God's household. In other words, the gospel of human achievement views grace, faith, and Christ's work as absolutely necessary, but insufficient, apart from your vital contribution. 
God cannot save you without your doing something. So in this scheme, it is the combined work of God and fallen man that results in the salvation of man. The technical term for that is called synergism, a synergistic gospel, where two people work toward one end, the two being, of course, in this scheme, God and you. God does his part, you do your part, and the outcome is your salvation. Synergism. It is very common in the Pentecostal churches. It is very common in evangelical churches. It is very common in the primary scheme of Roman Catholicism. You do your part, God does his part, and the outcome will be your salvation. Now, the truth, the gospel of divine accomplishment, also includes the necessity that one hear and believe the gospel in order to be included in Christ. However, the gospel of divine accomplishment teaches that grace is what saves us, and faith is the gift of God. Hearing and believing that you do in response to the gospel is evidence, therefore, and please make note, careful note, evidence of a prior grace received as opposed to a means of accessing grace for salvation. Now that point is so important, let me repeat it. In the gospel of divine accomplishment, in the truth, hearing and believing is evidence of a prior grace received, as opposed to a means of you accessing grace for salvation. So, in both Gospels, we hear and we believe. But in the truth of the Gospel, we come to understand that we would never hear and believe without a prior work of grace upon our heart, mind, and will. And that's because Ephesians 2 makes it very clear that Man is born spiritually and morally dead. They cannot respond. In himself, his condition is so significant. His condition is so desperate, although he would be loath to admit it, that he simply cannot respond to the gospel by his own human resources. He requires a a direct intervention of grace, even to hear and believe. That's how desperate things are for humanity. Now we see this not only in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2, but it's magnificently displayed for us in Ezekiel chapter 37 in the valley of dry bones. The prophet was taken to this valley and the Lord spoke to him and said, Can these bones live? The prophet was overwhelmed with the ominous 
thing before him and said, Lord, you know. And, of course, we know the story that he was told to prophesy. Speak to these bones. And it was then that God used the means by which the um, bones were brought back to life. Only God can do that. And that's a illustration of the desperate nature of fallen humanity. No better, when it comes to the gospel, no better than preaching to a valley of dry bones. It was at that moment that Ezekiel realized that he had been speaking and preaching and prophesying to a people who were no better spiritually than this valley of dry bones. So the gospel of divine accomplishment is just as it sounds. That is, the proclamation of what God has already accomplished in his Son on behalf of spiritually and morally dead sinners who, due to that condition, cannot contribute anything as a means of getting in or remaining in the household of God. In other words, this is Jonathan Edwards once stated, quote, the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary, end quote. And it's the same with staying in the household of God, as we'll discover. But before we leave how we get in, let me just share this with you. Paul's letter to the Ephesians offers us this wonderful insight right out of the gate into the gospel of divine accomplishment. In the first six verses, beginning with verse 3, he says this, quote, Praise to the, be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Ephesians 1, 3-6 now, that's the gospel of divine accomplishment. Let me reiterate this based upon the gospel of human achievement. This is how the gospel of human achievement, which is, the, again, the most popular version of the gospel being told today, though it is no gospel at all, as you'll discover. This is how they would rewrite Paul's words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so far, so good. Who has blessed me in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For I chose him and therefore became holy and blameless in his sight. In love I am adopted to be a son through Jesus Christ in accordance with my pleasure and free will. To the praise of my decision and his glorious grace, which he has conditionally given me and the one whom he loves. 
Big difference. Subtle difference. But big difference. The emphasis in the gospel of human achievement is upon what we do. What we add. What we supplement the work of Christ with on our behalf. And it's me-centered. It's not that God has blessed us. It's that he's blessed me. And it's not about God choosing. It's about me choosing. And it's not about God's pleasure and will. It's about my pleasure and free will. It's about my decision. And it's not about what he has freely given me and the one he loves, meaning Christ. But because I'm in charge, it has been given conditionally. Because if I'm in charge to getting myself in, then I can certainly be in charge of getting myself out. That's the precarious nature of the gospel of human achievement. It's about achievement. And achievement can be reversed. So as one can see, the gospel of human achievement does not exclude any role of God in Christ, as the title might imply. Rather, God the Father is said to be the source of spiritual blessing in Christ. However, in this scheme of human achievement, God's action in Christ is not at the center of salvation. Rather, it is man's response and action that is central and vital. Grace and faith in the work of Christ are said to be absolutely necessary, only insufficient, and thus requiring autonomous action on the part of the sinner without which God cannot save him. Let me say that again. Grace and faith in the work of Christ are said to be absolutely necessary. And this, my beloved friends, is what gives the appearances, the deceptive appearances, that this is genuinely a, genuinely a Christian message. They say that grace and faith in the work of Christ are absolutely necessary. Well, then let's clasp hands and let's sing together. No. Because in the next breath, they will tell you that the work of Christ is absolutely insufficient apart from their action, apart from what they do, without which God cannot save them. The control and the vital contribution remains with the sinner, not with God. So in this scheme... Though man is viewed as a sinner, he remains morally capable of participating in his own salvation and remains, therefore, at the center of that salvation. It's not a Christ-centered salvation. And then once you are in God's house, both Gospels have two very different views as, how, as to how one remains in God's household. One is con unconditional, preserved by the power of God, that's the truth, and the other is that you are in God's household, but on a probationary basis, a conditional basis. According to the gospel of divine accomplishment, the truth 
how one remains in is revealed in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. So let's look at that real quickly. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Quote, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And that's how you got in. And we've learned, haven't we, that even that occurred because as of a result of a prior work of grace. Okay. When you believed, Paul goes on to say, you were marked in him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, mark this word down, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So it's that last piece there. You were included when you heard and believed and then you were marked and sealed by the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the full redemption is realized of God's possession. You are now God's possession. And he has sealed you as such. And this is to the praise of his glory, not to the praise of any action on your part, let alone any worthiness on your part. See how liberating this is? I mean, we may think that we want to believe that God saved us because of some innate goodness within us, because of some innate, wonderful, lovable nature that we had. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that that which was once upright and good in God's eyes and his creation, mean Adam, fell. And with that fell, that upright, good creature was now a fallen creature following the same path as Lucifer and the angels, the fallen angels with him. We remember that, don't we? It says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, describes a perfect diagnosis. We used to live when we followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That was our condition. So here we learn that at a certain point in time, one hears the gospel, believes the gospel, and then is marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So it is by a work of the Spirit in accordance with the sovereign grace alone that the spiritually and morally dead sinner is now made alive in Christ and united to him by faith, and so enters the household of God. It is then that this newly included one in Christ is sealed as God's own possession, a member of the holy people of God. And the indwelling spirit is the evidence of this seal that God has placed upon you as his own precious possession. And the seal is also the guarantee of your final inheritance, which is yet to be fully realized at Christ's return in the consummation of the age. 
So let me reiterate. Once you are in, once you are in, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you need to understand that the indwelling presence of the Spirit is the evidence that you are sealed as God's own precious possession. And that this seal is the guarantee of final inheritance which is yet to be fully realized. Now, Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. I want to share with you the danger that is lurking out there by wicked men and women who will tell you that once you are in God's household, even then you must continue to do good things to remain in God's favor. Now, will you do good things? Yes. Where there's life, there will be evidence of life, works of mercy, works of love. But we don't do these good things in order to remain in God's house. We don't do these good things to secure our position. We do these things because we are secure and because we do have Christ's very life within us. And that will evidence itself in works of love, works of mercy, works of obedience. After all, we are being conformed into his image, aren't we? But something was happening in the churches of the region of Galatia. They had come into Christ by hearing the gospel, as we've just described, by having an initial experience with the Holy Spirit, as we had just defined. And now... Certain men from Jerusalem had come up to that region and began to tell them, well, that's good, that's fine, you're in Christ now, now let me let us show you how to stay in Christ. And to stay in, you must become circumcised, you must, in other words, become a full-fledged member of the Jewish nation. You have to back up now and go through the law in order to become a genuine Christian and remain in God's household. So the whole argument, the whole argument of the book of Galatians is not how you get in, which is typically how that is understood. The whole argument of the book of Galatians is how is it that people who are already in stay in? And that's, see, this is where legalism comes in every time. Legalism always comes in to people who are actually in Christ. Legalism most affects people who are truly Christians, who have heard the gospel, who have believed, and have been marked and sealed with the guarantee of their redemption as, a, as God's own possession. And instead of embracing that great reality, Certain teachers come along and say, well, that's good, that's great. Now, now you've got to do this, this, that, and that thing in order to ensure that you stay in God's household. And that's what was happening in Galatia. It wasn't that they weren't saved. I mean, you'll read it in just a moment here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, emphatic, 
you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? See, this is a bewitching influence. The gospel of human achievement is a bewitching. It's witchcraft. It's part of the works of the flesh that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, isn't it? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, and so on. Listen, the gospel of human achievement is for idolaters and witches. It's idolatry and witchcraft. Who has bewitched you? We don't want to be named among them, do we? You see how serious these things are? And yet you see in this reductionist atmosphere that we live in within evangelicalism that we are so quick to reduce the gospel to its least common denominator so that we can reach the broadest number of people that we end up reaching no one. Because Jesus said, it's, it's, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He didn't say, if you initially receive my word, then you're in. He's saying, no, you have to continue on the same basis that you got in. And that is absolute, unequivocal, unmitigated trust in his word. So Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. That's all they needed to know. On their behalf, he had accomplished everything that was necessary to, to reconcile them with the Father. Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you then. I just want to learn just this one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? End quote. Later in chapter 4 he says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who are nature, are not gods. That was their previous state. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, says the Apostle, that somehow I have wasted my effort on you. End quote. This is a very sobering letter. Paul is wrestling with this propensity that we have, and I would dare say the average Christian possesses, of believing that we are saved by grace through faith, 
but that we are kept in Christ by law. That's the natural default. The natural fault default of the human mind is to, or the fallen human mind, is to the self. So let's get back to our text here. The message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, is tied to divine accomplishment with the guarantee of its consummation, and this is the theme of the New Testament. I'm giving you very good news today, beloved. I spent most of my early Christian life believing that God had done all he could for me and that it was up to me now, and I knew innately, I knew intuitively that if it was up to me at any point, I was not, not likely to make it. It turns out I felt I felt horrible about myself because of that. I felt horrible that I couldn't do what everybody else seems to do so easily within the church. So you can imagine what a glorious day it was for me, and I realized that that was a falsehood. That he that had begun a good work in me, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's never a moment in our Christian experience when we are not saved by grace. There's never a moment we can, we can say to Jesus, Okay, thank you. Thank you for getting me here. I'll take it from here. I'll finish the work. Or, thank you, Lord, for dying and rising again on my behalf. Now, I, you got to know, you, you, I have to do something here. I, I, you, you have to accept my contribution to this to make it effectual. You see, it's, it's blasphemous. It's witchcraft to think that way. But that's the most popular gospel at work in the world today. Listen to what Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Quote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. On what basis? Mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Now, when do you receive an inheritance? Is it immediately? No, of course not. You were promised an inheritance. And he says that we have this hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I think you're hearing me. I hope you're hearing me. There are two Gospels in the world. What, what are they? What are those two Gospels? The Gospel of Divine Accomplishment and the Gospel of Human Achievement. And although the Gospel of Human Achievement is certainly the most popular form of the Gospel, it is no Gospel at all. We have determined, we have concluded through apostolic reading that it is witchcraft. 
Those who believe it are being bewitched, not saved. Let me give you just a few more things here, then we'll be done. Sounds like we have workers outside my building anyway. <laughs> and a testimony to the insidious nature, by the way, of man's compulsion to be at the center of God's saving activity. There are those who take the next text and twist it as well. And that is Romans 8, 28 through 30. Quote, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. This is a familiar text to some of you. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What does that mean except that it's going to happen? <laughs> God doesn't begin something then drop the ball. He's predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son. He will bring that about. He may discipline you. He may correct you as well as nurture you, encourage you, and, and strengthen you. But you will get there. And he's doing this so that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now listen to this. And those whom he predestined, and those he predestined he also called. Those he called he also justified. And those he justified he also glorified. End quote. That last line is all in the past tense. And those he predestined he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You're already glorified. In God's inheritance, sealed, God's own possession, it's as good as done. But there are those who would take even the foreknew here. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And they will say, well, you know, God looked down the annals of time and saw that those who would choose to believe and then predestined them after that. So they're making even God's free grace of predestination to be subject to man's actually believing. God only predestines those whom he can foresee are going to believe anyway. This is how it gets, folks. There is just no shortage of theological systems, creeds, and confessions that are twisting, that put a little twist on the end of biblical truth. Once again, this teaching places God as responding to man. If God simply looked down the annals of time and saw who was going to believe and then predestined them based upon their future choice anyway, then it's no longer God doing it, is it? But that's the teaching very common in dispensational, especially independent Baptist churches. That's how they explain away Romans eight twenty eight through 30. Listen, the fallen human mind is very uncomfortable with God's sovereignty. The fallen human mind and will does not want a sovereign God. They want a God who responds to them. Now, what I just said there is so true, so important and such valuable, precious theological truth that you should write that down. The fallen human mind and will is very uncomfortable and rejects God's sovereignty because it is they who want to be sovereign, not God. God's foreknowledge is always centered on his own saving action in Christ 
and not the free will choice of the sinner, quote, end quote. Nonetheless, this type of teaching remains popular for the reasons previously stated, and that is, so fallen man can remain autonomous from God and possess the controlling center stage. It's not a saving gospel. On the other hand, the message of truth of your gospel of the gospel of your salvation, as Paul states, begins with a sovereign choice in eternity past, and then a God who accomplished your salvation by in full, by the way, by sending his son into human history to suffer and die as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. Past, present, and future sins. And by raising him from the dead, God declared him just, and we who were in him as justified. And therefore, beloved, we have peace with God, peace within ourselves, and if we mature, as we mature in this truth, peace in our interpersonal relationships as well. So let me end with this. The Bible teaches you are a new creation in Christ. A new creation that only God could bring about. The gospel of divine accomplishment is the truth of the gospel. And when you do a deep dive into the New Testament, you will discover that for yourself. And what a glorious, wonderful day that will be if you haven't done so already. What you will learn is that you have a new identity as God's beloved child. God loves you just as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. And you are now called to walk in accordance with that new identity as a member of God's new humanity in Christ. Old things truly have passed away. All things have become new. And while it is yet to be fully realized, you nonetheless have this hope as an anchor for your soul. So how many Gospels are there? Two. Only one is true, and that is the gospel of divine accomplishment. I beg you to discern, to learn these things, and then discern and reject the witchcraft of the gospel of human achievement. Amen.